Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the Last Looks Podcast, Yvonne. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I'm delighted to be part of your podcast today. Awesome. So tell me, how did Hask Hair Care become involved with Hollywood hairstylists? Well, about 10 years ago, we started providing products to hairstylists of the 706 Guild and word spread quickly. As you know, for hairstylists, the process to camera-ready hair can have disastrous effects on the overall hair health of an actress or actor. Hair is subjected to what can be hours of styling with exposure to heat damage, breakage, excess washing and handling, or strain from wigs. It's so true. Pass products offer high-performance solutions that stylists really trust to ensure hair health remains a priority on set. Used behind the scenes globally on more than 750 films and TV projects and by over 2,500 stylists, Hask has contributed to major studio productions such as Birds of Prey, Maleficent, Pitch Perfect 2 and 3, A Star is Born, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and The Morning Show. As a result, today, with proven showstopper results, the Hask brand is used on more Hollywood film and TV sets than any other hair care brand. That's so awesome. Thank you for joining me today, Yvonne. Jamie, it was a pleasure. And I will leave you and your listeners in the industry with this. The Hask brand welcomes the opportunity to continue building our relationship with the Hollywood styling community. If we can support a project you're working on, send us an email as we'd be happy to help. That's awesome. We can be reached at hask at stonemanagement.net. Thanks again, Jamie. And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with makeup designer Heber Thorostotter and hair designer Janine Thompson. These two talented women have teamed up on such projects as Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the next Suicide Squad yet to hit our screens. We chat about their first job together on Bridesmaids, what it's like working on a Tarantino film, and what they feel their role is within the film industry as artists. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, ladies. Hi. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Now, Heba, you're a makeup designer, and Janine, you are a hair designer, and you ladies have worked on some pretty awesome projects together. Let's start with where you first met and worked together. In a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) Did you work in the coffee shop, or that's where you met? (laughs) No, we were both called independently from different people to do bridesmaids, and we hadn't met, and it was terrifying because to imagine trying to do a, a film like that with so many women, with somebody you don't mm-hmm. know and you don't know how they work, it just was terrifying. And so we set up a meeting to have coffee, and I don't know, we had, don't you think within five minutes we were like, okay, we're going to be fine. that's awesome at first we were like independently calling all the same people like do you know janine who is this janine (laughs) and she was calling the same people who is this heba 
<laughs> it's true. I forgot about that part. We were both doing background checks on each other. <laughs> I love that within five minutes, you kind of worked out that, oh no, this is good. Yeah. I really did. It was really like instant. Just the whole way we've talked, the whole way we explained things, it just, our whole vibe together was, it was so easy. Yeah. It was, I walked away from that coffee meeting feeling like, okay, that's the last problem on my list now. But, you know, now I can worry about the cast that who knows who they're going to hire because I hadn't hired people yet. And we were like, oh, dear God, every time, you know, there's a list of 10 women or something, we didn't mm. know if it was going to be really difficult or challenging or what it was going to be. So every time a new cast member got hired, we'd sigh another, you know, sigh of relief because we, you know, we know them well enough to know who's nice and who's not in this world. And we got a great cast. So. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Just kept getting better. Yeah. <laughs> that <was> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we just kept, kept waiting by and going, oh, God, no, who's in the next one? There's only one left. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how much, um, how much fun was that film to work on? We definitely had some fun, but it was also really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a rough shoot. It was was rough. It was just so much going on all the time and all these women having to be fully done every day. You know, it was just a lot, you know, especially when the bride scenes, when they were all done up, it was, it was, we had charts like you wouldn't believe to figure out how to get these women through the trailer on time because the very first day we had a little snafu and somebody said they were coming with their hair (laughs) dry and they came with their hair wet. And it threw us oh, yeah. off by, God, at least an hour because it messed up the whole chart plan. And <laughs> the very first day, we got called up to the set. We were called on a carpet with Jed Apatow. Jed Apatow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, first thing, we get a message. They're like, Jed wants to see you. We're like, oh, we're fired already on the first day. Yeah. We were like, stay. we did not even survive a day. This was like six hours later. And the AD uh, looked white when they came to speak to us. I remember she was like, um, I think they want to see you on set. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. But we just were very confident and said we know exactly what went wrong. It will not happen again. And mm-hmm. he just looked at us and said, better not. And it never did. They never waited on us again. No. Nope. It was pretty funny. We both just kind of looked at each other and were like, well, let's go. And <laughs> we walked up to set <laughs> together. Yeah. That was an interesting It'll be yeah. what it's going to be. <laughs> yep. It is what it is. You're either, you know, can't do anything about it. And we also, a lot of the scripts seem to be kind of improvised right there and then. Mm. And so we never really knew for sure what was happening in any scenes of the movie. Right. So that makes it a little difficult to plan for, but you just have to be ready for whatever's thrown at you. Yeah. Thank God for the cast, though. I mean, really. Yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing. If that had been a miserable cast, we wouldn't have made it through that film. There's no way. But those girls are all friends, and they all know each other, and they would come in and, you know, set the whole tone of everything because they just start laughing and being funny and, and... you know, play jokes on each other and they made it all okay. They figured out really quickly into filming that Rose Byrne could be broken really fast and they could make her start laughing and not be able to shoot. (laughs) And they all honed in like sharks. (laughs) And she'd look at him and say, no, please don't. Not today. Please. And they just got in on her and she'd literally be standing there with a perfectly straight face with tears just running down their eyes, just slowly running, trying not to break. It was great to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, Heber's like, tears, no, no. I've got to <laughs> exactly. <up."> I know. <laughs> That's true. 
Well, it sounded like a challenge, but the people got you through by the sounds of it. So that's Absolutely. amazing. And all these girls, they met at Groundlings and they had been friends forever. And it was just mm-hmm. amazing to watch them. And the creativity that went through that movie probably will never be matched. It's so much of it was ad-libbing too, that they would just throw in there and make it so yeah. much better. It was, it was constant. Not one take was like the next take. And they just offered up so many different variations that they ended up with a fantastic film. Yeah, and they were thinking for a while going to get a stenographer because uh, scripty, even with an assistant, they couldn't keep up with all the different versions. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. And then Jed had like five people there just writing it all down and then they were picking kind of what was the funniest and going with that. I know, because then how do you turn around and do another exactly. angle on that and then remember what on earth exactly. you said the first time around? That, oh my goodness. that was the talent they did. <laughs> wow. That's so amazing. That would have been so awesome to watch. Just be like, yeah, sorry, really what did was. she just say? Yeah. I know. Oh, you know, one of the funniest things I ever have seen in a, well, in a working environment was Melissa McCarthy in the scene where she's sitting in her office, you know, that looks like a tech something crazy town. And she was supposed to be throwing out ideas of what they should do for the bridal shower. And mm. she just started going and would just say something different. And then she'd do it again. And then she'd say something different and she'd do it again. And they just let her keep going. And I don't know, God, how, how long do you think it went on? It was like 15 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, and they just didn't cut camera. They started by that point. Everybody was laughing so hard. They knew they weren't going to be able to use it, but they just kind of let her go. It was on YouTube for a while when the film came out. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. (laughs) It it ran just, it was just all the cuts all put together. And she, I was crying. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, she's, I, love I couldn't those believe moments. her creativity. Like, where does she come yeah. up with these ideas just off the top of her head, one after the other? Yeah, it's, it's a quick mind, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's Groundlings, I think. I think that's what they learn there is how to just yeah. improvise, just go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great experience for you guys. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So, and, and what happens next down the line for you two together? We did like a couple of commercials together. Okay. Janine was kind of like my instant sister. She had some movies that she was doing, I think, with Sandra and where she's a personal, so we like couldn't work together. And then we... Did Ant-Man. Oh, yeah. Right. That's what was. And I can't remember. Oh, no, because I had worked on a couple of things with Scarlett as a personal. And on Winter Soldier, I met Michael Grillo. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And Janine had worked with him like 20 years years before or something. Yeah. And he called us both not knowing like we wanted to work together. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So he put us back together. Without even knowing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. As soon as he found out, it was even better. We call- I remember calling him one time. We hadn't heard anything. And we were like, hi, Michael. Do you have ants in your pants? Are you thinking about us? <laughs> <laughs> So where did you guys go for that? Where was that shot? That was the first film shot at Pinewood, Atlanta, or yeah. Fayetteville. The first one at the big, huge studio there. And we rented apartments together, all like in the same building. And we would carpool. It was great. Oh, that's yeah. nice. We had a good time on that movie. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Fun. I think when you're away from home, it definitely helps to have someone you're working with oh, yeah. that you can have a, have a buddy. Absolutely, absolutely. It makes all the difference in the world. And yeah. I met the girl who is now my right hand that I can't live without in my department on that film. So awesome. Yeah, it was it was a good experience. Yeah. My first turn into the Marvel universe. 
So I was terrified, yeah. only to find out it's not that terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but have I held my hand? Yeah. I'm like, what do I do now? I don't know uh-huh. how to handle these Marvel people, only to find out they're yeah. not so bad. <laughs> no, they're pretty supportive, aren't they? Yeah. So when you are looking for members, um, new members for your team or hiring for a job, what are you normally looking for in artists? I'm usually looking for somebody who has strength in what I don't have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I went to a makeup school, so I know, you know, like I learned to make molds and, you know, this stuff, but I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't like really blood and dirt under my fingernails, and I don't like being all like sticky and gross hands and then do lips, you know, beautiful lipstick or something. And I'm like, I did. I just don't want to do both. And it's such a different world. It's like apples and oranges, you know? It truly is. And I'm very happy with how films have progressed into having it almost like a separate department because I've always felt it was. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like hair is one thing, makeup is another thing, and then effects. And, you know, yeah, like I've done smaller projects where I have to do everything. And like on commercials, I do grooming. Most people have their hair like they had in the auditions, which is usually what they want them to look like. Yeah. And, you know, I do like some hairspray and stuff. But I think you just have really a good vision for one to be good mm. at. And then in turn, finding crew who can kind of fill those gaps, mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. different for each film. Also, depending what you need and what you you know what the story is telling. Yeah, and and it's like I met Greg Funk uh, on the island, which we shot in two thousand four, mm-hmm. and it was a tough shoot. And you know, Michael Bay. <laughs> Mm. we don't need to say anything more than that and people know what we're talking about so he's like my brother to my Janine being my sister and not Michael Bay Greg yeah Greg (laughs) (laughs) definitely not Michael Bay (laughs) and Greg is your assistant department head right yes and he he is really you know kind of an all-around guy he does both straight makeup as well as effects. And, you know, he sometimes works for effects houses where they send him to do effects stuff on films and stuff. And he's really good at regular makeup as well. Mm. And we even let him tackle beauty every now and again. Every once in a while, we make Greg do a pretty girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like, for me, it's invaluable to have somebody who really kind of has the vision for the effects and I can just kind of concentrate on the beauty. And I know enough about the effects to be able to say, you know, I like this, I want it done like that, or, you know, and Greg will will sometimes say, no, I think this is better or whatever. And, you know, he's always right. So. <laughs> but he's so subtle in the way he tells you he's right. <laughs> yeah, he just makes me think I'm right. <laughs> teamwork, teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> They're perfect together. They're hilarious to watch. Yeah, but you hit the nail on the head. It's all teamwork. And you're only as good as your weakest link. Yep, 100%. That's And Heba and I both have agreed on that from day one. And so, and that, and there's other people that run these departments where I'm the person that I'm in charge and I'm the best at everything and I'm going to try to do everything. 
And no matter what you do, I want it my style, my style, my style. And I think they cut their noses off to spite their face in the process because let everybody bring their best work to the table. And then you're, mm. you only look better by your people doing better work and doing what they love. So yeah. I just, I agreed all the way down to your the last person on the line of, of the team has to be as good as you want them to be or your show is not going to look right. And I usually, you know, when I'm choosing my team, I usually know the people's work mm. or they have a website I can look it up or something. And so I feel like I don't have to give a lot of guidance except, you know, this is the movie, this is the year, if it's period or modern day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I will give guidance like, oh, I don't want blue eyeshadow or I want blue eyeshadow or red lips or whatever. And obviously we will have colors for background if it needs to be within a color range. Yeah. And I feel like I don't even remember where I really have to go in and change anything. Yeah, it's rare. I feel like a lot of people in our business, or at least I feel very lucky to have worked with, you know, excellent makeup people on both coasts and all over the world, really. Like, you know, I have a girl in Germany, like I love working there because... You know, she's fucking amazing. (laughs) I think also like day players, they are really good at picking up right away what you need. I don't think anyone is really kind of comes with their stamp, so to speak. They're very adaptable. Yeah, that's what you want. Which is fantastic. It's nice. There's a lot of really talented people out there. Hair is a little bit more specific because... I think it reads more in a background player than makeup does. Absolutely. I have to give a little more guidance than makeup seems to have to. But mm-hmm. once you've done it enough times and you've got, you know, using the same people over and over, it gets to be really easy to communicate, you know, to boards and pictures and cutouts. And, you know, we make huge boards of what we want and we make huge boards of what we don't want. Yeah. Well, specifically in Once Upon a Time, I did a lot of, I don't want this because uh-huh. I knew people had specific ideas and, so that was the first movie I really spent a lot of time saying, don't do this. But generally, people are they're, they're great. They, they crank it out. They know how to do it. They want to. They get into it. They enjoy it. It's fun for them. They usually get to go home early, those people. They, you know, they come in, do their work, and go away. Yeah. So they, they generally have a good time. We try to make it as pleasant as possible for them if we can. Heaven and I are really careful also to make sure we don't have anybody on our teams that speaks down to anyone or mm. is, is high and mighty or any of that. It just doesn't go with what we do. No. That's not how we run our trailers. No. And I, I think also like working a lot in Georgia, I feel like when Ant-Man, would, we were there with Ant-Man, it was harder to find people. It's like we had to search more to kind of find somebody who had like film experience and understood that and actually to get people who liked filmmaking versus coming out of the salon and because I get paid more per day mm-hmm. versus like now we just finished Suicide Squad too and there I I, we, I found myself suddenly in a situation where there was like a huge change and I had to hire like makeup people that I had never met I didn't Mm. know their work and I didn't really have time to even talk to them I wasn't even in the same trailer yeah and of course I have Greg and I also have Jillian Erickson who has always worked with me in Atlanta 
I met her on, actually on Spider-Man. She ran second unit for me and I just loved her. And plus, of course, she has little Georgie, who is like <laughs> the best little Pomeranian in the world. And <laughs> the cutest I mainly seen. hire her for Georgie. So I suddenly had, like, I had to hire like two or three people in the main trailer doing main actors and stunt doubles that I was just like, I just threw them in it without any guidance. Mm. And so I was saying, obviously I have Jillian and I have Greg and I know they did a, a lot of the work because really I should have been personal on that movie to, to Harley Quinn's character because it was so much work and so much involved. And so I know fully they picked up the slack, but then I was just like, I have these people and they did amazing. And if that had happened, like, whatever, six, seven years ago mm. on Ant-Man, it wouldn't have been that easy. Oh, but they yeah. have, like, a pool of talent there now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was very talented people in Atlanta now. So you shot that in Atlanta. Did you go anywhere else? We went to Panama. Oh, you oh. did? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that seems one way to put it. Panama was not awesome. Uh, <laughs> We were there in February mm. when COVID was starting. Oh, okay. And through our hotel, every day, there were just busloads of cruise ships that came through our hotel, went to the bar and restaurant, walked down to the bridge, took a boat and looked at the monkeys, and then came back to our hotel. Yeah. So I am just so happy we made it home before everything was locked down. I would have yeah. died if I was at the Hotel Melia in Cologne. So, yeah. <laughs> Just saying. With cruise, with cruise ship passengers. Yeah. Everywhere oh, my, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, there's been some crazy situations as far as locations just because of heat or, or snow or, mm. you know, dirt or whatever. But you kind of, every time I read one of those scripts, I swear I'm never going to do one again. And then you somehow end up doing them again. <laughs> <laughs> I keep adding it to my list. Let's see. I won't do rain. I won't do nights. I won't do winter. I won't do snow. But it you know, all goes out the window when a good script comes your way. Yeah. Oh, oh, I have a recording of you when you say I love shooting nights. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was an imposter. <laughs> was, like, was it folk sarcasm? Or? <laughs> no. 100%. No, I don't know. Maybe back in the day when I was a young one, it was fun. But, Oh, yeah, funny. I always laugh when someone says, I want to go and shoot on a tropical island. I'm like, oh, sorry, what? No, you don't. Uh, yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. When I call it, but it's Hawaii. You go, yeah, that's like why I'm not sun, coming. The sand, the yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And the it, humidity. It's always windy on island. Something yeah. to think about, yeah. Like hair nightmare. You only go to an island for beaches or for jungle, and neither are fun to shoot in. They're fun exactly. to go to and see and look at, but not to shoot in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I've done three movies in Hawaii. I mean, islands in Paris, it's like you just want to go there for vacations and not work. Yeah, exactly. It's a true story. <laughs> so when it came to prepping for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, what were some of your favorite sources for research? Uh, Janine's family albums. Yeah. Oh, really? That's yeah. cool. Truly, we, we, we try to pull everything from Los Angeles 
proper as much as we could because it was really important to Quentin and to us to make this film look like Los Angeles, not San Francisco, not New York, not London, because they looked very different. But California, mm-hmm. especially Southern California, looked so different than the rest of the country in the world at that time. And I feel like so many of the period films that you see are the stereotypical 1960s, 70s look. And that wasn't necessarily what people looked like here. So yeah. we went through old family albums that I called my mom and had her call all of her friends that are the same age and have them send me their yearbooks and anything they had for pictures of them. That, and we had them up on the walls in the trailer to make it look that they had to have obviously have been had been raised here where I'm at is Los Angeles. And because they, that's the only way you could get them to understand the beach culture that we were trying to have people see. Uh, it was such a softer beachy appeal over here. They would take an idea, but they would soften it just to make it look as if they were just carefree and star kissed skin and, you know, golden hair and so forth. And we just wanted it to look really real. Talk about pool fest, Janine. Oh, Pool Fuzz. <laughs> pool Fuzz is, uh, my grandmother was a hairstylist back in the day, and she worked downtown at the bottom floor of the Clifton's Cafeteria building at that time in a beauty shop. And she said that women would come in and get their hair done. They get their hair washed back then because they do their hair once a week or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And they get their hair washed, and then they'd have her mess up the whole bottom of the hair because they wanted it to look like they'd been out lounging about in their pool because that showed class at the time. Because if you had a pool, you had money. If you had pool, you were interesting and you were modern. So instead of this perfection, they wanted her to leave this pool fuzz, as it started to become called, at the bottom of the nape of their hair. And they'd run into some place like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just got out of my pool. Was I late to my luncheon? You know, all this nonsense. So it became a thing. So we put pool fuzz on everybody. <laughs> this is amazing. I love this story. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. That's hilarious. People are yeah. so funny. And she said, and they'd come in more often because they wanted, it would start to get too plastered down with hairspray if you waited too long in the week. So they were actually getting their hair done more often Mm -hmm. to make it look less done. So they started some kind of a trend over here. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. That's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) So while you guys are getting your research all together, how involved is Quentin in all of this? That's interesting. He wasn't that involved. I didn't think. How about did you? Not in that part. I mean, initially, of course. No, Quentin. Quentin is kind of different than anyone. Like he, in some ways, he sees so much detail, mm-hmm. and in other ways, he just sees the big picture. Okay. Yeah, it's really true, and you never know which one you're going to get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's kind of up to us to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I felt like he had a meeting with us and told us his, like, almost just a conversation about Los Angeles, more so about the look itself and about what he felt and how he wanted it to feel. And then I felt like he kind of left us alone to, yeah, you know, make it or break it. And the first couple of tests, I think, were really what was going to make him decide if it was going to work or not without even giving us any guidance. He just threw us in, kind of, and said, here, do this, and then... I remember the very first character I did was a, one of the girls for one of the commercials that we threw in into the film at the end. And mm. a very little, he, he literally said nothing to me. And he came in and he looked at her 
And it was a, a beautiful black girl wearing an Afro. And he said, that's the exact kind of Afro I've always liked. And I knew right then I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so I didn't know anything <laughs> if he would like it or wouldn't. Cause I kind of took my own, I don't know. I just was like, this is what I like. And I'm just going to throw it out there and see if he likes it. And it, it was different. It wasn't a normal Afro and he loved it. So I think he did that quite a bit where he just kind of let you either hang yourself or do a great job. I don't know. Yeah. Have has worked with him a lot more than I have. It was my first Quentin movie, so I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah. I mean, that is very much how he is. That, you know, he lets you kind of take it, and then if he doesn't like it, he will guide you. Okay. And, you know, and, and it's it's um, what I learned, like, on, on his previous films, that if he... Like if if a person had some sort of a characteristics that were strong, mm. even if it's not the period we're doing, I always like either ask him or I just leave it because I know kind of where his eye draws now. So, you know, because he will have been like rehearsing with somebody and if they have a certain kind of beard or a goatee or something like for a guy, then that's how he wants it because that's how he has visualized the character through the whole rehearsal time. So now I kind of ask for the actors before they get to rehearse with them. So I can kind of guide it from there to kind of stick to the period if we're doing a period piece. But that's also what I love about Quentin's films is like, you know, he's made his own genre because he doesn't stick to the period completely. And it just all has its own look. Yeah, he locks into somebody's face or and he's really, that's what he wants to see then is he wants to see them. And it's like, well, but Quentin, it doesn't, it's not period proper. And he'll just look at you and say, I don't care. <laughs> and then, you know, so turn around <laughs> the other thing and say, that's not period proper. <laughs> it's yeah. But that's also what I I love about his movies is that it's okay. Like even they were doing 1800s movies and you look like an 80s wrestler, you know, he has his own genre. So it's okay. It's not all period, you know. I love it. That's absolutely right. It looks like a Quentin movie, no matter what. Even it just looks like Quentin because you can see his aesthetic through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So how are you working out your character development then, like you're designing at the beginning? Is it like, especially when you guys were needing to, I guess, recreate a historical figure, how close were you wanting to get to those people? Like what was your wiggle room with that? Well, they were all different, I think. We had to, first we had to speak to Quentin and see which look of that person did he want to see because so many of those characters Mm -hmm. looked so different throughout their careers and some of them he had the accurate time period look and some of them he didn't you know like bruce lee was was an older period that look than he should have really been but that was the classic bruce lee look so that's what he wanted and that's what we did and it looked great yeah you know it's just and it was no question asked he was like of course this is what i want i don't know how what do you think yeah i think that you know he just wanted the iconic look because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a very, like, I mean, all his movies are personal stories, but I think that this one in particular, like, it is how Quentin drove through Hollywood and he remembers it and sees 
these actors. And, you know, he wanted the 70s iconic Bruce Lee because it's not only how he remembers, but it's how everyone remembers. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted them to be instantly recognizable. And it was definitely very challenging because a lot of the actors, like, Steve McQueen, we got him in like the day the night before. We were doing night shoots and we got him in like the night before. So it wasn't even like we shot all night. He went home. We had to have everything kind of pre-made so it's not made to fit him or, mm. you know, and just kind of go with what we know, you know, wow. <laughs> which is fantastic too. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Those challenges just throw it in there. <laughs> Yeah, I do love a challenge, but not being able to fit a wig on an actor until the you know hours before yeah. was a little bit much. But we got I through. I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But that goes great. back to hiring people who are better at what you do. My like my right hand person is Michelle Diamantes, and she's a wig maker. So uh, you oh. know, I I knew I had her in my back pocket that if something quickly needed to be fixed, she could do it. You know, so yeah. it wasn't as terrifying as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, so out of all the characters, who did you feel had the um, biggest transformation for you guys? Uh, should we say Damien at the mansion same time? or yeah. Bruce yeah. Lee? I have both. Yeah. Manson being Damien, that's exactly what the first person I was going to say. He came in and just looked nothing like Manson, nothing. Literally, we were thinking this is insane, and all of a sudden you get a wig on him and get this beautiful sculpted facial hair that Greg did and contacts and everything else, and he was terrifying. You didn't even want to look at him. He literally would give you shivers. It was so creepy and the nicest man on the planet too. So, but if you'd see him from afar, and we've all grown up, you know, we were children when all those Manson murders happened. So he's been a scary monster figure in our brains for all of our lives. And to see Mm. that person walking by you 100 feet away was really creepy, even though you knew it wasn't real. I think it's the one that stuck out in my head the most as being the most effective, maybe, is the word. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Bruce Lee too, but you know, you've seen Bruce Lee in a, in a, you've seen people in Bruce Lee costumes. You've seen people pretending to be Bruce Lee, but there's something about Manson. You don't see that. Yeah. And he was so good. Yeah. And what we had to do too was because Quentin wants everything out of kit. He doesn't want to see makeup. He hates seeing makeup. If he sees makeup, he's out of the movie and, you know, you have to go and wash their faces or whatever. (laughs) It's like, he really, you know, doesn't want to see that in any of his films. And so with this, we're obviously not using any prosthetics. He was like, I don't want any fake noses and chins Mm. and all that stuff. So it's all out of kit. And when I first brought up, like, I think we need some contact lenses. And I think a lot of them, like, we didn't really even approve. We just kind of worked with the producers, had everybody fitted that would need them Mm. and order, like, a pair and then we would test it and if he if it was something that stuck out to him you know then we could discuss and take him out but I think he was you know just really happy it's like that they look I don't like think that. he noticed yeah no, I, don't I, I don't think like <laughs> you know I was thinking with like Emil Hirsch like he's so yeah. known for his gorgeous green eyes mm-hmm. and you know and we made him brown 
brown-eyed like Jay Sebring and with his hair and stuff it it took him there without like a, a lot of makeup but just had mm-hmm. taken the green eyes away it wasn't Emil anymore and we had with Dakota Fanning that was like the only one I really discussed with him and obviously Sharon Tate which was kind of obvious that she needed to wear them that wasn't yeah. even a discussion he's like yeah go ahead you know but with Dakota because she for me she's the character I remember the most of the Manson and because she was around later she wasn't in jail she was still protesting she tried to call uh, you know kill what was it Reagan <laughs> or something yeah. you know she's like around we kind of know what she looks like so mm. you know I did like the freckles and stuff on her and you know and I discussed contacts with Dakota and she was shooting in New York or somewhere and she came out here we had a quick fitting we had them so I wanted to show Quentin both ways because in a way too he's like I'm hiring Dakota Fanning. Why shouldn't she look like Dakota Fanning? Yeah. And, and <laughs> so I was like, you know, I think she really likes it. It really, you know, it's a noticeable character. A lot of people remember, and I think it's important. And he mm. was like, well, then whatever she wants is fine with me. I don't really care either way. But he really didn't understand why someone would want to wear contacts. Right. right, until he saw it, I think. And Quentin has brown eyes. I have blue eyes. So mm. it's like, I I know, like, I can't look in the sun. And mm. the first shot we had was Dakota at the door with Brad looking in the sun for like a whole day. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, she was like, I could not have shot this scene without being like squinting with eyes closed all day. Mm. And... So we explained to Quentin, it works like sunglasses. And he was like, so happy. (laughs) He's like, oh, I get it now. I misspoke earlier. I wanted to tell you, it's not Damien, it's Damon Harriman. Damon Harriman, yeah. I know. I always called him Damien the whole time. And I'm so embarrassed. And then I do proceed to do it again here on the podcast. It's Damon. (laughs) Some names just don't stick. It just doesn't (laughs) stick. It's terrible. I get it wrong all the time. Yeah, but we also had Damien. Yeah, we had Damien too. So I just kept mixing them up all the time. But uh, Mike Moe, who was Bruce Lee, he was another one that walked in the trailer. And Greg and I thought, Greg knew he was going to have to do sideburns on him. And we both just kind of looked at each other and thought, oh, no, this boy doesn't look anything like Bruce Lee. And by the time we got finished with him, he really did. It was pretty, it was fun. That was a really fun one. That's awesome. So which characters at the very beginning when you were reading the script and things were you most excited about creating or recreating? Sharon Tate. I mean, it's it's like my dream come true. It's I've been obsessed with her since I was four and started reading about the murders. And I wasn't interested in Manson. I wasn't interested in any of them. I was just interested in her. And that's what Quentin was. So this was just a dream for me. Very cool. What about you, Janine? Uh, it, Los Angeles. It was about doing the city. I was born and raised here, and I wanted to do a movie that looked like L.A. Because every time I see one, I feel like it's just off. People just don't quite have it. And I wanted to do it for, for myself. Just And I wanted to please Quentin because I knew he lived here. So I wanted to do, do it right for him. 
as well as to do it right for my, my career and my, not my career, but like my soul of doing hair, I wanted it to be right. So yeah, we, we put a lot of work into the Playboy mansions and the streets that ended up not in the film. That was heartbreaking. We're hoping that some of it will come back. I mean, we huge scenes with background that really showed the city and how they looked are just not there. Yeah. We're hoping that he'll do a long version and put it all out. <laughs> <laughs> that is always a little bit of a heartbreaking part of this industry, isn't it? Is the work you can put into something and it never makes it. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so Heber, how did you tackle the whole burn situation in the pool? Oh, yeah. That was all K and B. Okay. Yeah. So you brought them in and handed it over and it yeah. was done. Quentin has worked with K&B or Greg Nicotero since his first movie. Okay. And I think they practically did the movie for free. You know, they were like, whatever you need, we're here for you. And he has used them since then. And they came in. They were actually less involved in this film than any of his previous films that I've done with them. But they came in to an end scene. We had some dummies, which I'm not even sure we ever use. Quentin doesn't like dummies. And mm. it was interesting. I got an Instagram uh, message a couple of weeks ago. And there is some guy somewhere out in the world who is counting minutes of actors in films and mm-hmm. he was asking me if it was a dummy on the floor in Hateful Eight or if it was actually Kurt <laughs> it a, was Kurt what a pastime <laughs> I know yeah. I, said, I was like that's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> that's so great that he's going to that length to actually yeah. really find out if it's the actor or not that's yeah awesome. And, and, you know, we had to stop shooting at least once or twice because Kurt just like fell asleep and started snoring on the floor. (laughs) It'll happen. It'll happen. (laughs) Yeah. But he Um, laid down there happily in his big buffalo coat. You know, that is, people do that stuff for Quentin. They will do anything for him. Yeah. It's a completely different vibe on the set. Yeah. Actors there. They're not the stars at all. Quentin's the star. And so they behave very differently than they would in a normal film. And yeah. not necessarily like they're bad people or anything, but just you can see a complete difference in how they behave. They're in awe. And it's really fun to see. And it becomes more, it makes it more fun that everybody's there to have a good time. And everybody who's there wants to be there. Yeah. There's no actors there whining that I don't like this job, and, but I'm going to do it for the paycheck. You know, everybody mm. wants to be there. So it's a completely different vibe. It's like stepping into the 70s because everyone is involved. You have to be, there's no phones on set. You have Mm to be 120% engaged at all times. And Quentin sits by camera. There is no monitors anywhere. Mm -hmm. And you just pay attention and you have to know he wants everyone. Like you could be on a clock or your crew can be on the clock for a couple hours and read the script. And his scripts are like no other script you read. It's so visual and... and The detail in his scripts, it's the movies in front of you when you read it. Everything is described. Yeah, which actually cuts out a lot of the questions we have, Mm -hmm. too. That makes sense. So believe me, if somebody walks up and asks him a question that was in the script, he's not happy. (laughs) 
<laughs> he expects you to know that script backwards and forwards. And it, it it's great. It actually really helps you do your job anyway. So enjoy it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's very cool. Hey, um, I'm one of those Tarantino geeks that I think I was expecting violence to come along so much earlier in that film. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And I'm like watching it, enjoying it, but I'm like, wow, this is really like la di da And then when everything kicked <laughs> off, I was like, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, now we're in the business. This oh, is happening. <laughs> I was afraid to read the script because I thought when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, no, Quinn can't do. No, it's too early. He can't do the murders for the Mansons. He just can't do it. And I was really (laughs) shocked that somebody from L.A., especially with Quentin's history, would Mm. do something this caliber of a film. And then I read the script and was like, oh, now I get it. But I was terrified to go in there and read the script at the beginning. Yeah. But there's always, um, well, I don't know, for me anyway, I'm always seeing it. It's very humorous. Yes, the, um, of course. The violence. Yeah. Always. Always. <laughs> so, and it's so funny. I had a conversation with my sister-in-law and she said she loved everything in the film up to that point. And I was yeah. just like, oh no, I was waiting for that point. Me like too. I was watching the yeah. film, waiting for the the awesome, hilarious violence to kick in. And she was just like, we were complete opposite human beings, I think, wow. in that conversation. Because <laughs> There was a big scene that was at the beginning that was pretty graphic and horrific that ended up getting cut out that I was kind of sad. <laughs> yes, I love that part. It always makes me laugh because he does it with such humor. Like this shot in, in Hateful Eight when he's standing above on the stairway and he shoots the sister and they yank her back sideways into the, the dining room. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that shot, but she goes ratcheting back on this ratchet rig from stunts. It makes me cry laughing every time I see it. <laughs> that's magic some kind of brilliance (laughs) I mean having worked with them for you know I don't know nine or ten films I have had so many conversations about this and it's hard for me to understand people who can watch I don't know like even I don't know Michael Bay movies or even Mm. like a lot of television Mm. They have such a realistic violence, mm. and that bothers me. But I can mm. watch Quentin violence because it's so over the top. It's funny, yeah, and it's, it's meant hilarious. to be funny. Mm-hmm. And so I don't understand how people who can't see that, but I just had a conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, you know, my husband just loves Quentin's films, and I can never watch them because they're too violent. And then he made me watch Once Upon a Time, and he was like, it has less violence, you can watch it, you will love it. And, you know, and it's Brad and Leo, so it was hard for her to say no. (laughs) And so she watched it, and she was like, that just made me get it. So she went back and watched his whole collection oh, and like yeah. loves them. Good. That's some kind of magic. Finally having that click. Into yeah. Place. <laughs> and I think oh, a lot of it is people like hear about it. Mm-hmm. And I think they have preconceived ideas what it is. Mm, maybe. And when they actually like don't close their eyes when they the violence comes and they actually see it 
they get it. And I think especially in Once Upon a Time, when it's all in like that one last chapter, like a mm. fucking horror movie. Yeah, but oh, Brad is so incredibly funny. Oh, my that. God. Just so funny. It's gold. Yeah. So Absolute funny. Gold. He's like, so you're funny. on a horsey. <laughs> <laughs> He said horsey. I was like, oh God, it's yeah. not funny. <laughs> that's like one of my favorite lines in the movie. There's a lot of great lines, but that line is just gets me every time. <laughs> oh, it's oh. so brilliant. It's, it's, it's such a funny feeling, I think, watching something that you're like laughing, but the next second you're like, oh, God, that's, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just laughing again. And oh, it's just mm-hmm. magic. Yeah, I hope he puts out a long version. There's so many scenes that you would just—they're just their magic themselves. And yeah. I know he wants people to see them, so I'm hoping that he will. I know he's done it before in the past. I hope he puts out a five-hour version and gets it all back in there. <laughs> I love sure it. People would watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Heber, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about skincare and how important you feel that is for when you're dealing with your cast skin especially when you're doing a shoot that's maybe like five or six months. How do you tackle that? I'm kind of the makeup artist and like Quentin, I hate makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my whole thing is like, I want you to have better skin when you leave my chair in five months than you did when you came in here. And I can't think of just like one product because it is so different and I use different things for like for the environment and that we will be in it. I would use different things in LA than I do in Georgia. And I would mm-hmm. use a different skin for you, Jamie, than I would for Janine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's changing it up all the time. So even for myself, I don't like to use always the same thing because I like to shock the skin. Right. I think the skin just get used to whatever you're using and it just cuddles along like la la la. And then, you know, if you, it's like when you get algae in your pool and you just shock it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, an interesting analogy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like more of a shock treatment and I just feel, I just go with instinct what I feel each day, really. And I think you need, different things in the beginning of the day than the end of the day sometimes. Sometimes you can use the same thing, but saying all that, I think one of the most important things that I have is a cleanser to Mm -hmm. clean off everything at the end of the day. And I think for actors to, to cleanse at the end of the day, it is both you're kind of just winding down and leaving your character behind and you go home to your family and you can just be you. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of on, I know not everybody thinks so, and, and that's totally fine. But for me, I feel it's important time for both of us to just clench your face and have you all like fresh and clean, because that helps me when you come in in the morning. Mm. And it helps you when you go home to your family or whoever, or to dinner or whatever. Plus yeah. it reinstates that connection that you have to have all day long when you're, you know, they have to trust you. Exactly. They have to know that you've got their back and that you're taking care of them. And I think that just kind of reminds them, hey, I'm here and I've got your back. Don't worry. Yeah. And I love the Emma Hardy cleanser. 
Mm-hmm. And it's similar to Eve Lom, which I used for years and years. And I had no intention of changing that. I've used it since like 2003. I was ordering it from England and it was mm-hmm. a nightmare getting it. And then a couple of years ago, actually on, on Once Upon a Time, I got the Emma Hardy one and I was like, you know, oh, I got like all this line, I'm gonna try this. It's kind of similar to the Eve Lom thing, but it smells a lot nicer. <laughs> it smells so good. So it's coconut based, it's natural, it's beautiful. And I don't think, I have another cleanser, which I think is maybe better every day for regular people, but for the actors that just takes it all off, it's one thing and you give them a hot towel and it's gone. Yeah. So I think that's my one product. Yeah. I like the philosophy, it seems, that you have that I guess the better you're looking after that canvas, the less paint you have to put on it, right? Yeah. You can still have their skin glowing through. I've seen her transform people's faces. I've really seen it from the beginning of a movie to the end of the movie where somebody looks completely different by the end. (laughs) And it's (laughs) it's all because she's taking care of them and making them take care of their skin, you know? Wow. Yeah. You must have a lot of thankful um, actors out there, Heba. Uh, oh, they all know. want inner chair, believe me. Yes, they all want inner chair. <laughs> They're always like, oh, Heba, touch me. <laughs> Magic she, fingers. It was how to make it happen, yeah. She makes them all comfy and the incense and the beautiful blankets. It's great. It's one of those things where you don't get up. Half of them fall asleep. Now, Janine, I wanted to ask you, who do you have make your wigs for you? Well, mostly Natasha Laddick. Okay. She's my go-to favorite person. I love her dearly as a friend as well as an artist. Victoria Woods makes beautiful wigs. Alex Rouse makes beautiful wigs. Those, I would say, would be the three my three favorites, but it seems to be Natasha hits my spot every time. It's just she reads my mind and she she listens to what I tell her that I need. Because sometimes yeah. I want the hair direction different ways, and she mm-hmm. gets it. And if if something needs fixing, she does it for me. You know, I, I don't have to worry about being picky. She likes me to be yeah. picky because she said then they look good. They they look right on film. She said there's nothing more heartbreaking than when she makes a wig and it looks like crap on film because somebody didn't yeah. put it on right or do it right. So uh, yeah, Natasha's a dream. That's awesome. And I guess if you're working in LA and she's in LA, that yeah. also makes it very easy too, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah. And Victoria Wood's the same. She'll, she'll do work with you any way she can and she'll redo it 10 times if you need her to. So they're lovely people. Yeah. I think having that open communication is really important when you're having stuff like that made. Because it's so detailed and it's the minor little tiny things make a huge difference that they literally make it believable or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing about having Michelle with me is I can say to her, Michelle, I need literally four hairs right here. Mm. Can you do them and she can do it in three minutes. She's like, bam, 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 and got them done. And it, it's brilliant. I, if I have my way, I will never do another film without her. Um, <laughs> but it, if I can't have her, then I at least have to have somebody with wig skills in the trailer because it completely upped my game of what I was capable of doing on sets to have somebody there just because I don't have that skill. I don't know how to do that the way they do. I'm not interested in learning. It's too tedious for me. Yeah. Um, so Natasha makes me a gorgeous, beautiful wig. And then Michelle like does the little tiny tweaks for me throughout the film as they happen, you know. That's awesome. And I guess too, gosh, if you had any accidents yeah. or anything uh-huh. that happened and needed something quickly mended, you've got someone yeah. there. Yeah, so like that's when you awesome. walk into the trailer and say, Michelle, do you see that the stunt person's wig just split in half down the middle? How long do you ah! think it would take to fix that? 
You want Please to tell smile? me what, what, what <laughs> did this happen on? Did this, this, uh, that this was happened? On, yeah, that was fun. All right. That was, was on Avengers. Oh. It was fun. But we, we had so many backup wigs, we were okay. We had another one we could throw on them right then, and we just oh. she fixed it so it was ready for the next day. It just was oh. the hero backup that we yeah. loved, got ripped. So we ended up using one that wasn't quite the favorite, but we were okay. But, but Michelle always smiles and always says yes. She never tells me no. She goes, well... Let me see. <laughs> God bless Michelle. That's all I have to say. She's, she's my hero. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Now, you guys have worked on projects where you've been personals, like looking after the same person, right? And then personals, but looking after different cast members, mm-hmm. but yeah. on the same film? Yes, we have. Both Paul. So, right? Paul's the only one we did just Paul. Thing, what right? was that on? Yeah. Paul Rudd when we did Ghostbusters. Oh, cool. But I was going to say, we we did work together kind of as, I would say, kind of as personals on the other Ghostbusters. When, but I worked with Kristen and you were with Melissa. Right. But we were being personals. With, yes, we were in the same trailer together, but we were, yeah, we were but different, different people. as personals. Yeah, it's true. Oh, that's so cool. So what does it mean to you guys to be a personal? Like, what are things to remember when you're an artist in that position, do you think? Oh, gosh. I I think being a personal is all about your personality. I think mm-hmm. it's obviously you're not going to be a personal if you're not good at your job. So you've meshed with that person and you've made that person be able to forget about what you do and forget that you're there and forget that you're poking and prodding at them all day long. They're comfortable with you. They trust you that you're, that you know what they like. People who want a personal, it's usually about that. They, they don't want some stranger or somebody that has a different vision than they do bothering mm-hmm. them. They want to know it's taken care of and they can act. They can go do, put it like outside of their brain after they leave the trailer and not worry about it the rest of the day. I think it's a lot of, it's a personality situation a lot of the time. I agree. I think it's all about personality and who they feel like got their back. And different people have different needs, you know, then you might be a great person for one person and it not work out for the other person because they need something you don't bring to the table. It's all personal preference from the actors about what they like. And you can see them watching people and, but you know, like seeking out who they, whose work they liked, you know, that's how Melissa happened is did her on bridesmaids. And she just kind of, I mean, in bridesmaids, she had nothing. She had her hair in a ponytail. I didn't touch her. But from watching the work, and then I did a movie with her and Sandy where I was Sandy's personal, then she mm-hmm. asked me to work with her because she watched how I work. I would like to say I don't 100% agree on the first, uh, when we started discussing this and Janine said that, you know, that there's a talent there because... That's true. You're right. I feel like a lot of times you are picked because you know somebody (laughs) or you're friends of somebody and there's not always talent and they don't always know what they're doing or what they should be doing. I think you're right. Yeah, I agree. I like to hope that people have talent, but you're thinking back, there's been a lot of times I've looked at personals that have come in on a film that say maybe I'm department heading and I just sit there shaking my head, just going, oh, please, please. I wish I could touch that. I wish I could fix that. I wish I could do something. And, you know, maybe they're somebody's brother or somebody's friend. And so they got the job. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I think, too, if the cast member themselves isn't aware, like are not hair or makeup savvy, mm-hmm. then I guess they're not at that point going to realize 
that the work that's being done on them maybe isn't as good as it could be. Yeah. They may grow to learn that, but at that time, yeah, I think exactly. sometimes they, they don't see it. So yeah, they don't, don't know any different. They're used to that person, and so they're bringing them in because they're used to the person but not realizing the work is subpar. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize – I think everything is different. Like I think fashion – you have to have a different mindset than when you do television. And then you have to have another mindset when you do film mm-hmm. and you are working with a certain, you know, like a DP, mm-hmm. you have to know how he's lighting the thing and, and what you're shooting, what's the look of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when I book a job with some director, I go back and I watch their movies and to see, because usually they have a look. Mm-hmm. And so I know what I'm going in with. And I think when actors get to bring in their personals, I think a lot of them are not necessarily doing what Melissa did, for example. Right. To bring in somebody who did films. I think they are often thinking like, oh, I have a chance to get somebody in the union. And, you know, I like this, you know, Mac makeup artist and the girl who works at Frederick Fakai and does my hair. And mm-hmm. she brings those people in. And they don't have mm-hmm. the first idea what they're doing. No. And it's like they can do like a haircut and a blow dry and they can do like a makeup, but they don't know how to work with the DP and the lighting and the film. Yeah, how to make a film. Continuity. It's yeah, a continuity. Thing. And they don't know how to like essentially be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The concept of continuity is always fascinating to me that people can't get it when you, it's a pretty simple conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it makes yeah. pretty- it's pretty basic <laughs> but and i think it's it's different than that too it's it is it is that for sure but that's kind of easy to learn yeah and i think people normally get that fast what they don't know is to create a character yeah like mm. you know the psychology behind it and i think i'm better psychologist than i'm necessarily a makeup artist yeah, absolutely. We, we do half of our work is, is, is talking to them and figuring out the character and making sure that they can get to the character and helping them get there, you know? Yeah. And like, what does this character do? Who Like, who is this girl? Is yeah. she the girl who like puts a lot of mascara on or does she not care about makeup and just puts on like a chapstick and has to have those earrings. Yeah, And you have to think about where did this person go to school? Where did this character grow up? Do they have any money? What's the weather like where they're at? Um, What are the people around them doing? What's that, the general city? What's the biggest thing happening in that city? You know, so that you get it accurate. Otherwise people are just like, well, I'm going to make her blonde. You know, okay, why? You just have to do some research. Yeah, part of your research, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's like the fun part in history. Yeah. And it's my favorite yeah. part. I love <laughs> establishing new characters. I love when we're doing camera tests. So much fun. I have to bring up a story from Bridesmaids again. Mm-hmm. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> in prep, I had done a breakdown on every girl, the main girls, all of mm-hmm. them. And I had gone shopping and made them cosmetic bags of kind of who they were 
both as actors what would go with them as well mm-hmm. as like where they're growing up and where like they are in their life now. So I've gotten like colors and you know stuff like what your makeup bag would look like. Mm-hmm. So you know I had it on the stations for all the makeup artists who were doing it and the first thing they're like going like oh you got this I want that and then we're all like it was all just mixed up I was like okay I'm never doing that again (laughs) (laughs) I love where you were going with it though like but of course it's a bunch of hens in a hen house they're gonna be like oh my god it was like (laughs) they went crazy (laughs) you always want what somebody else has yeah exactly I should have you know, mixed up all their bags and probably would have ended up with the right stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so poor Melissa would come in every day and just sit with us because she had no makeup on and her hair in a ponytail. Mm. But she'd come in and just kind of look sadly because Melissa loves a good makeup and hair job more than anybody. And so yeah. she was just sitting there like, I want to be in here. <laughs> oh, please. I was going to say, with you guys having been heads of department and personals, I'm sure you understand when you go in as a personal, having how important that, like keeping the communication and things open mm. with the head of department is. Because yeah. I know sometimes that relationship doesn't even exist. And I think that that must be difficult, right? It's it's crazy because generally it's one or two on the call sheet if it happens Mm. and they're setting the look of the film. And if you're then following that look and it's something you guys haven't discussed together, your, your film's going to look ridiculous. So Mm -hmm. I I try really hard to make nice and, and talk and stay friendly and stay in touch with people when they're department heading or vice versa when I'm department heading in their personals. It's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. I always kind of, I, I sometimes, if, especially if I know them or something, I would like talk to them or reach out. And But I always try to stay within. I always watch what they're doing and what the other characters look like and have them fit in. Mm-hmm. Just be yeah, conscious of that. Yeah, you have to keep that. an eye on it. Absolutely. Because yeah. otherwise, you, you say if they're out shooting on set and you're not there, you get the film put together at the end of the episode or whatever it is, and nothing looks you don't have any idea why everything looks so strange. So you've got to see what they're doing too. Yeah. And I had to, on one particular movie I did years ago, and it was the first movie I shot in digital. And I, we, none of us like knew what we were going into. It was so new. Yeah. And we did a bunch of tests and, and it was supposed to look like no makeup. But any amount of makeup was just showed up like tons of makeup. It was like mm. Kardashian makeup before Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did our test and there's like two big actresses in Leeds. And I was doing one and, and the other one had somebody else, obviously, uh, of like personals. And the other actress needs a lot more makeup than my actress. Hmm. and her makeup looked so much heavier that my girl kind of looked like shit next to her. And, well, she didn't look like shit, but she looked like she had <laughs> like, no makeup on because the other one looked like she had makeup on. Right. And this is a period film where they hadn't even invented that makeup. Hmm. So I would, 
in in this when they had scenes together, I always did heavier makeup on her, and it didn't really ruin the continuity. It was more like I do a lot just for the moment or for that frame, and I know Janine does the same thing. It's like it just has to look good. Like they have to look good together. And yeah. if they're even, you're not going to notice if she has a little bit less foundation on in the next scene mm. because it's different lighting. I think you've got a lot of leeway there depending on the angle and depending on what the actual shot is and the lighting. I change things considerably sometimes where people are like, but that doesn't match. And I promise you, you won't notice it when you see the film because it looks right and yeah. it makes a huge difference. I'm always adding in pieces into wigs to fill in a hole because just the way the light's coming through or something, you know, I think you've got a lot of leeway to play in there, but that's where you're that's where you have to be in front of the monitor really watching, you know, or right behind the camera uh, yeah. to see the difference because it might look great to you standing over there 15 feet away, but it doesn't standing mm. straight in front of them. Absolutely. Know. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. Sometimes it's the hardest part is if you step three feet away, it looks perfect, but the camera's not seeing three feet away. That's that's why I love the, um, uh, what's it called that we do on our phones now? Um, on our uh, quick, quick, quick take. Q, Q, Q take. Q, Q take. Yeah. Because you're seeing what the camera's seeing instead mm. of, because for me, it's all about shape. And if I'm even three feet off to the side of the camera, I'm not seeing the exact angle the camera's seeing. So I love it because I'm literally seeing what the lens is seeing. Yeah. So I can adjust the shape of the wig wherever I need to. It's totally changed my life, made my life a lot easier. Yeah, it's so, awesome. I just yeah. wish you could like zoom in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can, a little. you, you can. can. Yeah. I know, but the quality, everything yes. starts fuzzing yeah. out and you're like, yes. Ah. But yeah. Yeah. So what films have you got coming out that we that you guys have worked on together? Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last one. And then everything got quiet. That was February. So we finished And up you mentioned and... something about Ghostbusters. Mm. Has that come out yet? Or Which no. one? Ghostbusters. Paul Rudd. Oh, Ghostbusters. That's coming out. It was supposed to come out this year and it's coming out next year. Okay, cool. We're waiting. We just like set the look for that one. We were um we were already prepping for Suicide Squad and they kindly lent us to Paul Rudd for a week to set his look and shoot and then he had like three or four weeks off where we were full on in in Suicide Squad and then we got Basilios and Karen Bartek to to finish the film for us. They went up and finished it out because he knew them and we love them and they're great so we just set it up for him mostly yeah he's great we'd follow Paul anywhere. Yeah (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) It's one of the faves. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, just uh, people who watch his films and stuff as well. I mean, what is there not to like about Paul Rudd? Yeah. I know he's, he's <laughs> great. He's no, but he's, and you know what he's funny is he was in Bridesmaids and ended up not being in Bridesmaids. Yeah, um, he ended up on yeah. a editing room floor. Yeah, oh. he was one of the dates <laughs> that she went out with, and it was pretty it funny. Was pretty funny he, scene. Yeah, they went ice skating, and she, it was pretty good. But um, he was kind of quiet and didn't really talk much, and we were kind of like, hmm, he's all right, I guess. And then we did Ant-Man, and we thought, well, okay, it'll be fun. You know, he's fine. And it was he was a completely different person. We fell madly in love with him We start, to the point where we actually were able to say, hey, what was with you on Bridesmaids? 
Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, God, was I a jerk? And we were like, yeah, not, no, not a jerk, just kind of not you. And he was like, what did I do? And we told him he was laughing so hard that he was so boring. He said, look, I just had a baby. I was miserable. I was doing three jobs. I wasn't sleeping. He's like, I was such a jerk back then. I know I was a jerk back then. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we were like, all right, you're forgiven. You weren't a jerk, but you're forgiven anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It's a That's pretty intimidating funny. scene to walk into, too. It's of course. Oh, my God. And oh. Jed yeah. Apatow screaming new lines and everything. And, you know, and he knew Kristen and he knew Jed. And so there was a lot going on that day. And it was yeah. only, what, two it's days, crazy. I think, he shot or something like that? I think just one one day. Yeah. One. Just skate ring. I think it's hard too when you're coming in just for one day to kind of find your groove and oh, yeah. let you know everybody. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 Plus, sure. it was such a massive, you know, there's so much cast and everything happening. I think he just wanted to fly low under the radar and get out of there. But we've had fun teasing him about it since. <laughs> Good. That's what friends are for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, I, I think people are going to be looking forward to Suicide Squad number two. So that's so. exciting. It's going to be fun. Yes. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is one badass young girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. She's awesome. That's very cool. Um, now, Heber, I feel like you might have answered this before when you were talking about your cleanser, but what one tool or product would you never want to be without? I think wherever I would go, I would use the Emma Hardy cleanser. Yeah. Like that's one product that, that is everywhere. And I love Iconolab rose oil. Even if I don't use it for skincare, I often mix it into the foundation to get a little glow and That's I know nice. also that will help your skin uh, hydrate over the day mm. and okay. um, yeah I think I think that I mean I know that's two products but <laughs> it's okay no one seems to be able to answer the question with just one answer so Janine take it yeah, away no, I was just saying I'm not going to help you out much either because I I don't have a favorite I really don't because every film it's different because um, mm-hmm. my tools are all about what the look is. So yeah. there might be the most valuable comb I've ever had in my life for four months that I don't even pick up on the next film. Yeah. You know, a curling iron that I can't, you know, that I've had in a box for 30 years in the back of my garage might become my prized possession for four months. Yeah. You know, it's, there's no tool specifically. I always go back to the same old products. You know, I love Fido gel because it's, mm-hmm. it's just the right heaviness for everybody and I mix it with things so I can make it harder I can make it thinner I can do whatever they started they said they lied to me and told me they were discontinuing it at one point and I went completely crazy and bought cases of it and then they brought it back out (laughs) (laughs) oh they have it now yeah you can buy it now Mm-hmm. Everybody oh. teases me. They would, they literally, I would hide my gel from people in the trailer because I didn't want anybody to touch it. I had one gel, one left, and it was for Paul. And I was like, nobody can touch my gel. It's for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but now True, you can get yeah. boatloads. So I would say if it was a product, it'd probably be Fido because I can turn it into anything. Okay. I was going to say I can answer that question for Janine if she's oh. struggling for. What do I love? And- you can't work if you don't have Sonos and music. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Just thinking outside the box. If I do a tool, yeah. yeah, I can't. I she, I literally can't work without music on. It's it's. I'm not even kidding. It's a big deal. And they've haven't seen me freak out when there's no music. I I can't do it. Something about 
it doesn't click in my head and it doesn't even have to be music. I like, it just has to be sound. Just something. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is. We were panicking one day when I had to cut Evangeline Lily's hair into that bob for Ant-Man. And it was the very first time I was going to have to cut her hair and cutting it off from, you know, long hair from what's the jungle show she did forever. But I was terrified to, you know, make sure I had to get it right. It was classic Bob and we couldn't get the music going. And I was going into a tailspin. And finally, one of the amazing kids from upstairs in the production office came down and got it hooked up because I was going to cancel it. I literally was going to cancel it because <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> that's amazing. Do you think that's like, I don't know, from working like, in the salon and always having background music no, or something? I didn't work in the salon that long. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I worked in the salon for like three just years. Just a music lover. Yeah, I just, it calms me down and gets me, I can focus. I think I have a little bit of ADHD or something going on in there and I just need something to keep me focused and somehow music does it. Yeah. I always find it weird when there's trailers that just never have music playing. I'm just Oh, like, I can't. I'm so uncomfortable. This? Even people's houses, <laughs> especially say you go to somebody's house for a dinner party and there's no music on. Like, What's yeah. happening in here? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong? What's wrong with the universe? Oh, I love that. Um, I, I, yeah. I wanted to add to it that it, it is kind of like in – in filmmaking, it is like a dance. It's like you read Quentin's script and you can tell he wrote it to the music. Mm, um, he like, says what songs are playing in each scene. Yeah. And in like James Gunn, I made like a Spotify list of the music he mentions in the script. And I think a lot of what we do, like in the trailer, it's about the mood and we're dancing all day long to everybody's whims and requests and we we have to try to set the mood right you know so yeah. we can kind of dance all day and it does kind of set the tone for everybody in the trailer because everybody's listening to the same thing you know we would have an actor come in the trailer every once in a while and want to change the music and it wasn't that we didn't like the music they wanted to put on at all it was a lot of it was great it was just about wait we're in this rhythm kind of thing going on right here mm. and it, you're going to shock our system right now. And maybe today's not the right day for it or another yeah. day. It's fine. You know, go ahead. Yeah. So ladies, tell me who is the one person you'd like to hear on the podcast? Hmm. I hadn't hmm. answered that one yet. Um, I can answer for me while you think if you want. <laughs> yeah. Go for it, Heba. I thought and thought about it. There's a lot of people who came into my mind that I would mm. love to hear. One of them being somebody you already talked to, and I hadn't heard that episode, but it was Brian Sype. Oh, yes. Yeah. But what I really, like me starting work and all that, and who I like thought it was a genius and mm -hmm. I just wanted to have her talent and I could never like have my toes where she has her heels mm -hmm. is your fellow Kiwi, Joanne Gear. Mm. I've heard you talk about her. Yeah, I don't I don't know her. She is brilliant. She is such she's an artist. She does she did Demi Moore for the cover oh, of Money Fair. I know who you're talking about now. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. She is a brilliant and she's like super shy. 
you know, she has a few books out, but she does like body painting and just beauty makeup. I met her on, I wasn't working back then, but uh, I just had a baby, but my ex-husband produced Truth or Dare with Madonna. Mm-hmm. So uh, we did the Japan leg and Joanne was doing the Blonde Ambition tour. Wow. And I mean, she and her do makeup is just, she's so amazing. And I don't think, you know, I'm not dissing anybody, but Madonna that was like her best look through Vogue and Express Yourself and all these that when she worked for Joanne Gare I think like they worked together for like 10 years oh wow okay that's very cool nice answer fellow Kiwi beautiful yep (laughs) <laughs> I I think I'd have to say Kay Giorgio. She's just always oh, yeah. been, mm-hmm. I just think her work is spectacular. I've never seen anything she's done that I haven't loved. And she yeah. has such a, uh, you can see her hands in it. You can see mm-hmm. the difference when it's Kay. I, and I think Kay is an interesting person to talk to. So I think you'd have fun talking to her. Yeah, um, I have reached out to Kay. I haven't heard back yet, so maybe so I'll sweet. circle back mm-hmm. around. Yeah, she's lovely. <laughs> so thank you, ladies. This has been brilliant. Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's so sweet of you. Yes, it was fun. Thank <laughs> you. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.